We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We speak to Donald Trump's former national security advisor and ask whether or not the U.S. is doing enough to hit back. Plus, top Biden officials sit down with the president of Mexico, even as thousands of migrants march north through his country and towards the U.S. border. What the U.S. is asking the Mexican president to do, will he listen? This as President Biden lands in St. Croix for a long holiday weekend before he heads into what promises to be a bruising 2024 campaign. And it's a numbers game. Las Vegas gets ready for a wave of New Year's nuptials. Why are couples flocking to Sin City to say I do this weekend? Thanks for being with with us here on the Hill. I'm Mike Vicara filling in for Blake Berman, and I am joined by Kelly Meyer, News Nation Washington correspondent, Bill McGinley, former Trump White House Cabinet Secretary, Lance Trover, former press secretary for former GOP presidential candidate Doug Burgum. And Chris Hahn, he's another former, <laughs> former senior aide to Senator Chuck Schumer, and he is a News Nation contributor. Contributor, The Hill on News Nation starts right now. We begin today in Mexico, where thousands of migrants are heading towards the U.S. border in what appears to be the largest caravan this year. This is the latest escalation of the border crisis as Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas visit Mexico today for talks with the country's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Panel, I have to ask, will anything concrete come from this meeting? Bill. No, I think it's going to be basically more the uh, roundabout diplomacy that we've seen over the past three years from the Biden administration in a number of these countries. What they really need to be doing is beefing up our resources at the border to prevent the migrants from coming in and re-implement the return the say in Mexico policy and also make sure that we're not letting anybody in that we can fully vet. Yeah, here's, here, here's, what I, well, here's what I see happening. The Biden administration is politically vulnerable. On, on immigration, on the border, on these migrants, on these caravans. They're negotiating with yep. Republicans in the Senate to make something happen. They're going to, what, break the news to Lopez Obrador that that's what they're going to do? No, look, this is part of the negotiation with Republicans in the Senate and theater for Republicans in the House, right? The White House has to show that they are willing to do something. We're in Mexico. We're meeting with Mexico. We're asking for A, B, C, D. So it's window dressing. Is that what you're saying? It's part of the negotiations, the dance that we all play in Washington. We've always played. Kelly reports on it every day. Yeah. Brilliantly. So, you know... Thank you for that. Is, I will, so the White House is feeling the heat on this issue. Well, that was my question to um, John Kirby last week on the North Lawn. Why now? We've been following this at News Nation for years now. Right. Why at this moment are you sending the Secretary of State down to Mexico to meet with the President? Translation 2024. Uh, Biden's feeling it in these Democrat-run cities. Uh, I believe it's what, in 2021, Democrats yeah. confident on Biden on immigration. In 2021, it was 85 percent. Now it's down to 59 percent. The fact that they are they. sitting there uh, with the Senate having these negotiations lets you know their political vulnerability, Lance. Yeah, 100 percent. Three years and millions of illegals coming into this country. I mean, this is a farce of a meeting is what it is. I mean, you can't spend the last three years berating reporters who ask you about it, trying to ignore it, rescinding policies 
that were meant to stop what's going on, and now suddenly this is a defining issue for this so, administration. They call him I mean, AMLO, the president, right? He's got a 66% approval rating because he sticks his finger, pokes his finger in the eye of the United States when he has to. Why right. would he give in on something like this? What's the leverage the U.S. has to, to bring him to the table? Well, we are the most powerful nation in the world. Right. And his, his biggest, biggest trading, trading partner. partner. Okay. So we have a lot of leverage in that. Yeah, I don't think people want to go to Cancun. His, he's not going to stick his, no, his finger in the face of the Secretary of State and say, get out of here. But again, this is a negotiation. Kelly's right. It's about 2024, but it's about January of 2024. They've got to fund the government. They've got to fund uh, Ukraine. They've got to fund Israel. These are all connected issues. There is a there is a Republican-controlled House of Representatives that doesn't want to do the Ukraine part. Right. They want something on the border. The president's got to do something to appease them to get all three. So all that, that's ones. that's the linkage. And then what if they do actually get something done? I know that might be shocking. What if they do get something done? And then what will Republicans talk about in 2024? Well, Remember, Speaker Johnson sent a letter over to President Biden saying you can use your executive authority to do something at the border. He put the ball squarely in Joe Biden's court to say the time for you to act is now. They yeah. want to see some material okay, yes, Congress, Look, Congress has to reform our immigration policy. They had a great bill in 2013. It did all the yeah. work. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it because Republicans want to run on the issues. Democrats have their own it's issues. It's going to be hard in an I'm election actually, year. It's I'm the gonna, third real apology. All right, right. I'm going to give you one of these. We're going, to, <laughs> we're going to wrap. So we're going to bring in someone with an actual voting card in Congress right now. So that would be New York Republican Congressman Anthony Desposito. He is a member of the Homeland Security Committee. Congressman, very thank you very much for joining us. Uh, first of all, I'm going to start with the mayor of New York City, neighboring your district, of course, Eric Adams. He had a press conference yesterday, a press conference today where he took to tack the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, for sending those buses to his city. Well, as I've said before, uh, you know, I'm not sure where Mayor Adams finds uh, the right to criticize other people. When you are elected, you are elected to find solutions to problems. Uh, governor Abbott found the solution to the problem that he was facing, and that solution was to send migrants to a place that considers themselves a sanctuary city. Throughout his campaign, Mayor Adams touted the fact that New York City was a sanctuary city, but he forgot that to actually be a sanctuary city, you had to have plans in place in order to actually serve right. as that sanctuary. Nobody comes to okay. the United States of America to live in a vacant warehouse or hangar at JFK Airport. Right. Well, he's under a lot of pressure. And as some of it showed yesterday, he says he tries to call the administration, the Biden administration, reminder, he's a Democrat. Uh, they don't talk to him. And he said, quote, it baffles me. So more indications of the political pressure that the White House is under as this meeting goes on right now, as far as I know, in Mexico City. I want to ask you this about that meeting. What do you expect, if anything, to come out of it? It's too little, too late. I don't expect anything to come out of it. Since Joe Biden has taken office, there's been over 3.8 million people that have crossed our border into the United States of America. We have people on the other side of the aisle who are claiming, well, this is the, the administration stepping up and looking to do something. Uh, have they have they kept their head in the sand for that long that they haven't realized that this has become uh, an issue plaguing our entire country? Every state is now a border state. Every city, a border city. I want to, uh, there's a poll out. How confident are you that Biden can make wise decisions about immigration? I think this is from Pew. I think you were referring to this. 67% say they are not confident. Only 32% say they are confident. That is a, a significant drop, as, as Kelly pointed out just a moment ago. How much pressure, what do, what do you read into the fact that the White House is sitting down with Republicans in the Senate? That's number one. Number two is, do you envision any possibility that if they come to a deal, House Republicans would go for it. 
I think we have to see. We have to see what the deal is, what they want to put on the table. I mean, the facts are that close to 200 days ago, House Republicans passed the Secure the Border Act, H.R. 2, and we sent it over to the Senate. It's been collecting dust on Chuck Schumer's desk since. Okay, H.R. 2, let's, let's assume it's not going to happen. That's a negotiating position. Remain in Mexico? Do you want to see a revival of that, I'm assuming? What else would you like to see? I want to see investments at the southern border. I want to see more Customs and Border Patrol agents hired. I want to see uh, investments in the ability to process asylum. Uh, I'm not one of those people who say that, uh, you know, we should not welcome people into this country. I believe people are deserving of the of the American dream, but they need to come through the front door. And in order for us to welcome people into this country and give people that American dream, we need to be able to process those asylum cases and we need to give our processors every resource that they need to get that done. So it's not just a matter of upping the budget. You know, this is tied to the Ukraine funding, right? This is all part of a funding bill. It's not just a matter of upping the budget for the Border Patrol and ICE and other agencies that deal with the migrant flow. No, this, this, they are. They, they want to tie Ukraine funding in. And I think that many of my colleagues, and at this point, uh, I've bec- become to uh, really understand their point and, and begin to agree that we need to secure our own border. Uh, that's the, the issues that are facing the American people. And then we could focus on, on dealing with Ukraine again. I mean, we, we've sent a, a lot of money there. And, and I've always said, and I voted on funding uh, that have, has gone to Ukraine. And I, I've made it right. very clear that moving forward, we want to see where the money is going, what it's being used for and, and how they, they plan on using further money. Congressman, as long as I have you and because you are from New York and on the Homeland Security Committee, what do you know, what can you tell us about the, the preparations for New Year's Eve celebration, particularly in Times Square, uh, and any danger signs or red flags that you're seeing as people begin to gather uh, this coming weekend to celebrate the new year? I think that the, the threats are there. We're, we're seeing, obviously, uh, most recently, individuals who have been pro-Palestine, um, people that have, have gone into the city. We've seen them uh, block off the entry to JFK Airport, a major transportation hub. I know that the NYPD is working with all uh, intelligence agencies to do the best job that they always do. They are the greatest police department in the world, and I have no doubt uh, that they will keep this city safe. We just could, uh, need to remain uh, vigilant. We need to be careful and we need to be safe and be smart. All right. Congressman Despacito, thank you very much for joining us on this holiday week. You have a happy new year. Appreciate it very much. Sure. Be well. Okay. As we mentioned, the Democratic mayor of New York is also criticizing the federal government's handling of this migrant crisis. Mayor, mayor Eric Adams says the federal government is basically saying to New York, We're, you are not doing your job. You do our job. The mayor just got a short time ago announced a new executive order requiring charter buses carrying migrants to provide 32 hours notice in advance of arrival in advance of arrival into New York City and limiting the hours they can arrive to the morning hours. I'm proud to be here with my fellow mayors who called on the federal government to do their part with one voice and to tell Texas Governor Abbott to stop the games and use of migrants as potential, as political pawns. Okay, Lance, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the answer here? Is Adams deflecting, or is he genuine? Is he obviously he's genuinely upset with the administration? Is that deflecting, and is he using Greg Abbott as a scapegoat? Well, let me just first begin. As someone who lived in Chicago, everybody loves sanctuary cities until they got a dose of reality, and that's what's going on here. They're getting a dose of reality. So. 
Uh, you can call it deflection, you can call it blame, whatever you want. But these were cities that were proud, they said, to welcome in illegal immigrants for years and years and years. And now they're getting these illegal immigrants in. He's dealing now with what uh, Governor Abbott on the Texas border is dealing with. Everybody's dealing with it. But it all goes back to the federal government and the Biden administration not doing their job to secure Mr. Hahn? Well, if these guys could work while they were here, they wouldn't be as big of a problem in the city of New York. In fact, the city of New York could use every single one of them at work right now. There are 11 million vacant jobs in the United States of America. There are about 11 million people that have been coming to this country over the last couple of years. It seems perfect sense to put them to work for this country, like every generation of immigrants before them, like my family when they came here, like all of our families when they came here. Mine too. Bill? I don't know. <laughs> Look, I think what it does is it also ignores the humanitarian crisis that a lot of these border cities are experiencing. Mayor Adams is now beginning to be on the front lines of this, from the food shortages to the medical care that has to be provided, the lodging and everything else to take care of these people who come in. This is a very small fraction of what the border states are having to deal with on a daily basis. And welcome to the party. You know, what I mean, I'm think, sorry, but Mayor let me just, Adams, let me just call Mayor Adams out for a second. Yeah. We get 61 million tourists a year in the city of New York, uh-huh. 61 million we can handle 150,000 immigrants. We got to just figure out how to do it. The federal government can help him and allow these uh, uh, migrants to work, but we can handle it in the city of New York. And it's so interesting he's mentioning can you give us 32 hours notice? Uh, can you make sure this comes in the morning? And, you know, those border cities and states don't have that option to pick yeah. and choose. Because there was a new tactic. They, the Governor Abbott actually started to fly some migrants into New York City. They got diverted because of weather yesterday, and that raised alarm as It'll well. It'll be interesting okay. to see if that's a violation of the commerce. Something tells me we could talk about this issue <laughs> for a while, but we're going to have to move on. Yeah. So coming up, another U.S. base under attack, this time in Syria. It comes after a U.S. retaliatory strike on Iran-backed militants. We'll talk with former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton and ask him where all this is heading. Plus, more evidence that we are not alone. And now the highest-ranking lawmaker in the Senate wants to get to the bottom of it. He says info on UFOs is credible, from credible sources, and it's being withheld from Congress. One UFO expert says the media needs to pay attention. Well, we have a news nation certainly has been paying attention, and we will speak with that expert coming up after the break. Game Pass. Welcome back to The Hill on News Nation. The three American soldiers injured in a Christmas Day attack in Iraq are now in stable condition. That's according to U.S. defense officials. What you're looking at is some of the damage from the airstrikes carried out by the U.S. in Iraq in retaliation. And we're now getting information about another attack on a U.S. patrol base, this time in Syria. It's the latest back and forth between American troops and Iran-backed proxies in the region. With us now is Kelly Meyer. Kelly, you've been reporting on this all week long. 
what's the latest on what's going on over there and the U.S. response? Yeah, uh, you know, really tit for tat over the last 48 hours and a significant escalation that we saw in the last 24 hours. So we saw another attack on U.S. forces in the Middle East, in Syria, at that patrol base that you mentioned. No casualties or damage, we're told by a U.S. defense official within the hour. We're also learning of that uh, attack by Houthi forces. Uh, the USS Eisenhower had to shoot down over a dozen drones. Uh, it was uh, two land cruise missiles, three ballistic missiles, all over a 10-hour period yesterday. This is in the Red Sea? This is in the Red Sea. So we're seeing both the attacks in the Middle East as well as in the Red Sea, affecting that commercial shipping that we've been following, several companies having to reroute around Africa, making it more timely and costly. And this all comes after President Biden ordered those retaliatory attacks on on Monday, uh, where we saw those attacks come after those three service members were injured. And you mentioned they are now in stable condition, but that Uh one was critically injured. Um, So it's just, you know, President Biden is in St. Croix for the holiday. The Pentagon, uh, they're going to be on heightened alert watching this Mm -hmm. over the next several hours. Okay, a tense and escalating situation. Uh, And now let's join uh, Ambassador John Bolton, the former national security advisor in the Trump administration. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you very much for joining us on this holiday week. We appreciate it. I'll just ask you very simply, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Is the U.S. responding adequately? Well, by definition, no, uh, because we're not deterring these actions by uh, the Iraqi Shia militia uh, in uh, Iraq and Syria, the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea, uh, or Iran itself. And uh, the administration, I think, is more deterred by Iran than they are deterred by us. We've had, uh, since October the 7th, since the Hamas attack, uh, well over 100 Shia militia attacks on American military and civilian personnel in Iraq and Syria. And in the, in the Red Sea, we've identified, uh, coincidentally, the same number, roughly over 100 drone or missile attacks uh, by the Houthis. Uh, we have yet to strike the Houthi positions at all. And our strikes against the Shia militia in Iraq have been uh, pinprick variety strikes, eight or nine, counting this last one. So Iran is not suffering any consequences itself, but our people are very much at risk. Uh, A number of uh, military officials, anonymously, of course, have said the only reason we haven't seen a mass casualty uh, event in Iraq or Syria to date is luck. Yeah. Let me, let me present the counter-argument, right? So we launch a volley, uh, the United States military launches a volley of, let's say, tomahawks towards those Houthi positions, those launch sites, or the Houthi leadership infrastructure. Isn't that what they want? Isn't that the escalation uh, that these Iraq, Iran-backed militants want to happen to ignite a, a larger conflagration in the Middle East? Well, the question is, what would work to establish deterrence? And the calculus is that your enemy must feel that it would suffer far more pain if it carried out belligerent action than any objective it could achieve. Right now, simply the repetition of the Houthi attacks on commercial shipping and U.S. naval vessels uh, and the attacks on our personnel in Iraq and Syria show they are not deterred. So to be clear, in Iraq and Syria in particular, our people are effectively sitting there waiting to be hit. Two weeks ago, for the first time in over a year, the U.S. Embassy compound in Baghdad uh, was hit by mortar and rocket fire. This is a tragedy waiting to happen. What is the danger to U.S. forces? The U.S. now has a naval, uh, I don't want to call it an armada, but escorts uh, through uh, the the Red Sea along with our allies. You know, I'm old enough to remember when U.S. forces were stationed overseas in peacekeeping missions in Beirut 40 years ago this year. 
uh, in Cobar Towers. Uh, you know, is there a concern that you're simply presenting more targets uh, for these militants to shoot at in terms of U.S. assets and U.S. personnel? Yeah, I mean, these are defensive measures. I support the convoy idea, but it's not discouraging the Hootie. Let, let's be clear here. The Hootie wouldn't have two rocks to rub together uh, yeah. to, to, to deal with traffic through the Red Sea if they weren't being supplied by Iran. And there was another incident before Christmas. I think this is noteworthy. The Pentagon said, uh, and has not been contradicted by any evidence, that a, an Iranian drone launched from Iranian territory uh, hit a cargo ship in the Indian Ocean on December the 23rd. Yeah. Uh, Iran denied it, but this is an overt act by Iran against what it thought was an Israeli target. Th- this really is uh, Qasem Soleimani, the late unlamented Qasem yeah. Soleimani's <laughs> ring of fire strategy playing out around Israel. All right, Mr. Ambassador, I'm going to yield to my colleague, our Washington correspondent, who's been covering this from the White House, Kelly Meyer. Ambassador Bolin, I had one question. You mentioned the deterrence efforts. Is there a fine line between deterrence and widening this conflict, which is something the Biden administration has been clear that they do not want to see? And then on top of that, how would you advise the Biden administration to respond here? Well, remembering that all of these attacks, Houthis, Hamas, uh, the other terrorist groups are ancillary to uh, the Hezbollah, ancillary to the Hamas attack on Israel. So I think the way to end this quickly is to allow Israel to achieve the objective it has stated, uh, which is the elimination of Hamas's military and political capability. All of these things are tied together. So in effect, we're in a wider war now. The White House just won't admit the central controlling role of Iran, and that is a strategic threat to the United States. All right. So, Ambassador John Bolton, thank, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it up, Kelly. Kelly's eager to go. <laughs> uh, thank you for being with us on this holiday week. I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you, sir. All right. I'm going to go you. Yeah. Hon. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been listening. What do you think? Oh, I've been listening to John Bolton for 20 years now. Uh, he's never met an, a target in the Middle East he didn't want to bomb. Right. Uh, thank God he's not the guy making that decision right now because we have a wider war that the American people do not want. He is the last of the neocons. And there's a reason why neocons were driven out even of the Republican Party, uh-huh. because they were warmongers and they wanted to expand every action. We're walking a tightrope in the Middle East. The, what you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you, you said this is what they want. They want us to take our tomahawks and bomb their positions to create a wider war to distract from the carnage that they caused on October 7th yeah. in Israel. We need to back Israel, and we need to not be drawn into a wider right, Real quick, Bill. The one thing that Ambassador Bolton said that really struck me was the Biden administration policies and actions to date haven't worked. And the reason that you know that is because the Iranian and their, okay. Iran and their proxies are still attacking. And I think that that's a very... I think that's a very important point that he made, and I think we do need to get some sort of All right. coherent strategy. I'm going to use my privilege as the host of this show and say, I think the jury's still out of whether it's working or not. Okay, moving on. Coming up, a key legal move made by special counsel Jack Smith against former President Trump. Why it matters and could impact, could it impact, former president's campaign messaging. And storm clouds on the horizon. In this case, word clouds. Responses describing the political goals of Donald Trump and Joe Biden as the public sees them. Why the results may rain on the parades of both candidates. That's next. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to The Hill. Special counsel Jack Smith filing a key motion against former President Trump in his 2020 federal election interference case. He's asking the court to prevent the former president from making, quote, unsupported and politicized claims in court during the trial. The prosecutors claim Trump, quote, has suggested that he intends to impeach the integrity of the investigation by raising wholly false claims, such as the government's non-existent coordination with the Biden administration. Okay, Bill McGinley, I'm going to start with you. you you're a lawyer. You served in the Trump administra- administration. Uh, is Jack Smith going to be successful here? No. I think even if he were to get a court decision, Trump's going to do it anyways. The question's going to be, are his lawyers going to be able to get the trying evidence from from the government uh, that they're requesting? Because they want to put on defenses that Jack Smith doesn't want. Let's not forget, Jack Smith, even though he's a very smart prosecutor, he has been overturned by the Supreme Court numerous times in the McDonald case and the other case. But what I do want to say about this is... Um, this is a very aggressive. He's already gotten a gag order outside of court. In the legal system yeah. in the United States, we try to give a defendant as much latitude as possible to put on the defense that yeah. they're entitled to. Yeah. That's Sixth Amendment, Fifth Amendment issues that you have right there. And the prosecutor trying to limit this, I think, is going to be a tall order. So, w- w- to be clear, he's trying to, to sort of muzzle him inside the court. Correct. To stop him from making well, remember, political statements and, and, and rhetoric. He's, but he's been successful in that, right? right. Or at least but, I mean, partially. At the end of the day, we're talking about the leading candidate for president. Yeah. And Jack Smith keeps filing these speaking motions where you kind of really kind of go well, beyond yeah. well, you know, what look, is absolutely His nice. lawyers can't present claims in court without evidence, right? So any claim that Trump wants to make about coordination with the Biden administration or any other whacked out theory he might have needs to be supported by evidence that is provable in court. And if his lawyers are bringing false claims without evidence, they are going to be punished by the bar as they should. But right. that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, is they've requested that information, which signals to them that that's the road they're going to go down in the courtroom. They're trying to foreclose that before it even starts. Uh, uh, Kelly, I want to ask you, so Jack Smith says in his filing that uh, the president's going to make wholly unsupported claims and talk about the political interference uh, of the Biden administration in this prosecution, to which the Biden administration would respond. You know... I feel like the Biden administration is trying not to touch this right, right now. Well, so they're I think going out of their way to say that publicly, for sure. Right. Yeah, I feel like they are just trying to stay away from it and not get involved uh, anymore. And I was going to add that I think at the end of all of this, it's just helping Trump gearing up towards All right, Lance, right. you're fresh off the campaign trail. Is this really a, a campaign? Uh, this is... This is going to be part of the campaign, right? I mean, the man's going to have how many trials are going to happen? The first one's coming up the same day as the Iowa caucuses in the E. Jean Carroll case. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, look, it, yeah, of course, it's going to be part of the campaign. But if you go back and look at polling and where he was a year ago versus where he is now, after those indictments came down, his support only increased. Right. I mean, he's mm-hmm. marching into Iowa stronger than That's ever. That's his superpower. I, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking right, forward to there being a choice not just a referendum on Biden. All right. Speaking of President Trump, and we do virtually every day, he (laughs) soon will be on the campaign stump a lot more. The first voting in the Republican nomination race, the Iowa caucuses, is now just over two weeks away. As you can see from this so-called heat map, the former president has not been going to Iowa nearly as often as his Republican challengers. I mean, look at Vivek Ramaswamy. The man's doing six events a day in Iowa over the last month. He's blanketing the state. 
But that's all about to change. Trump will barnstorm the state next week. Six events over four days, including appearing with potential running mate, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who's from neighboring just up north there, South Dakota, making the journey south into Iowa. Okay. Uh, Trump's getting serious now. I'm going to go to you first, Lance. You know all about uh, campaigning in Iowa. Yeah, I know. But I, I guess my thing is, why, why did he have to be there? I mean, he doesn't have to go at all. He's yeah. at 52% before he started barnstorming the state. So, I mean, look, this, this, really, this race is his to lose as he goes into Iowa. And, I mean, yeah. that's, that's where it is. I mean, can he really just ignore Iowa? I mean, go have a rally once a week like he's been doing between now and January 15th and still crush? When you're out there, and Kelly's been out there on the ground too, I mean, the, the, the support is, is loyal and fierce for him. They will be there at the caucuses. And look, Donald Trump has run a very good campaign. Setting aside from the, the, the bombastic stuff he says, his campaign operation has been very, very good, and they have done their job, and they have worked the system very well yeah. in terms of ensuring that you get the caucuses, ensuring that they get winner-take-all in these states. They've really done and, the system. And let's not forget the limited edition precinct captain hats he's handing out because they go a long oh, yeah. way to winning a caucus. That'll turn people out for sure. <laughs> and it's interesting, sorry, I was going to say, it was just interesting that, you know, Trump has been there the least and then the second uh, runner-up to that is Haley, and they're really the ones that are doing the best, so maybe the less exposure in maybe Iowa. that's it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, in any case, even uh, Democrats I talked with uh, at a diner just a few weeks ago, they said they are preparing for Trump to win in Iowa and be the nominee. So, I mean, it makes a good point. Lance, I'm going to come back to you, yeah. though. So, do you need to make speeches? Do you need to have rallies? What's more important, direct mail, um, knocking a canvassing, knocking on doors, targeted advertising? I mean, this is a modern campaign now. Uh, Trump draws huge crowds. I mean, we saw Vivek Ramaswamy. He's been, uh, I assign people to go cover these things every single day. He has six events a day. He's been in all 99 yeah. counties, the so-called full... Um, Grassley. Full grassley. Yeah, full grassley. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so is this, is this a new way to campaign? Well, for every, well, if for, are we talking about Donald Trump or yeah. everybody else? That's, that's usually what you, that's yeah. usually the question. If you're Donald Trump, yes, that's what you do. If you're everybody else, you know, look, Nikki Haley is running a great campaign. She's doing a good job. She is probably spending more money than all the other candidates. That's why you see her going up. I know everybody doesn't like to say money, but money still Mother's moves. Milk. It still moves numbers yeah. on TV, mail, and all the like. Everybody else is doing what the traditional campaign right. and doing what they need to do. Yes, uh, Donald Trump just doesn't have to do here's what Nikki. Here's what Nikki Haley, who is surging in the old horse race polls. She's coming up on the outside. Uh, New York Times says, Nikki Haley's bold strategy to beat Trump. Play it safe. Mm. So she colors inside the lines, Nikki Haley does. She doesn't stop at campaign stops and gaggle with the press and give it the old back and forth. She's very disciplined. Her campaign is very regimented. They want to keep reporters away from any spontaneous exchanges uh, that might make headlines aside from what she wants to do. Um, What do you make of her surge? And does she pose a real threat? I think she's really starting to consolidate support in the non-Trump Republican wing of the party. And I think one of the reasons that you see such a conservative approach, both in Iowa and New Hampshire, where it's actually resonating, um, number one, I think she's trying to preserve her options for 2028. Um, I think a lot of people understand that Trump, unless something drastic happens, will be the nominee and will wrap it up March 5th on, on Super Tuesday. But a lot of these folks are also looking toward 28 with regard to who wins the general election. It's going to be an open seat. And there's a lot of people in here who have bright political futures and they don't want to do anything to taint Yeah, them. yeah. Okay, we're going to move on to John Fetterman. Uh, he's not shying away from slamming fellow Democrats who are critical of President Biden. The Pennsylvania senator calling out famed Democratic strategist James Carville. Politico quotes Fetterman as saying, while there are Democrats that are being very critical about the president, I'll use this as another opportunity to tell James Carville 
to shut the F up. He didn't say the F up either. Like I said, my man hasn't been relevant since grunge was a thing. I personally still have a flannel shirt. Me too. Uh, from the, my Nirvana, uh, <laughs> my Nirvana stage. You've covered Fetterman. You're yeah. from Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's he my says senator. he's not a progressive. So what gives with the man? Well, I think he really seems to be marching to the beat of his own drum up there. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was recovering last year, a lot of focus on his health. We've seen him now in the last several weeks really, you know, taking his own positions on things that some. Sometimes go with Republicans, sometimes go with Democrats. He's doing his own thing. Well, Pennsylvania is not a blue state. It's not a red state. It's, I guess it's it is quintessential. It's in play, state. without a doubt, every year in play. Uh, Fetterman's on the ground there. He thinks that uh, Joe Biden is the best candidate for that state. He was the best candidate for that state in 2020, probably will be again in 2024. And I think Fetterman, like a lot of Democrats, are saying, hey, you know, we think Biden's doing a pretty good job. Uh, the polling numbers are not set in stone. And as I said earlier in the show, there's going to be a choice between Biden and Trump. And Trump's drama, and we're going to talk about his drama in a little bit, is not what the American people want again. They like boring old Joe Biden. And that's why he got elected to begin with. Yeah, you know, James Carville, it's the economy stupid, right? Got Bill Clinton elected. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's famed, but I guess he was from the grunge era, right? I, it, isn't He's simply trying to warn Democrats against complacency because isn't Joe Biden's biggest problem that people are not motivated? His base is not motivated. And the more you portray Joe Biden as being in electoral hot water, the more likely people are going to come out and vote. Well, I mean, he's speaking truth, but I'm, I'm not sure. You said it, the American public is at 37 percent approval rating right now not in the country. Not a choice. They're clearly right not now. thrilled with, the, with this administration. I think he's he. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're talking about Carville. That is what he's doing. He's yeah. speaking truth to them, saying, look, Donald Trump can be uh, reelected. And I, for Fetterman to come out there and say, oh, just disregard what this guy yeah. says. I mean, I mean, Axel Rudge come out and say it said similar things. Yeah. The yeah. Obama people. I think they're, I think they're trying yeah. to motivate yeah. the base. All right. Yeah. We got to yeah. We got to We got to do this. OK, coming up. <laughs> Congress wants to an- wants answers on UFOs. But are other branches of government hiding the truth? We'll speak with one UFO expert who says the evidence is out there. The vast majority of people are in the sensible middle. They're not the far right wing and they're not the far left wing. Every point of view is represented on News Nation. Veteran journalist Elizabeth Vargas, now on News Nation. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Right now is, quite frankly, uh, the greatest legislative failure in, in American history. You know, you had a very strong amendment um, for government transparency on this issue, whether you believe um, my allegations or not, uh, you know this is a government transparency issue at large. Okay, welcome back to the Hill. That, of course, was UFO whistleblower David Grush on Elizabeth Vargas reports. We here at News Nation have been covering the search for truth about UFOs all year, and now the Senate is demanding answers on whether the government is illegally withholding UFO records from Congress and the American people. Joining me now to discuss his op- is opinion contributor for the Hill, Mark von Rennenkampf. He's been a recent. He has a recent piece published in the Hill. It's titled "Congress Hunts for Illegal UFO Programs as the Media Shrugs." Mark, thanks very much for joining us. 
Uh, let me, let me, let's just start at the beginning here. There was a provision inside uh, an enormous defense authorization bill. We thought it was going to go through. It got dropped for what I gather are mysterious reasons no one's fully explained. What do you know? I agree, Mike. Thanks so much for having me back on. Um, you're right. Um, so there was a there was a piece of legislation in the National Defense Authorization Act, 64 pages, sponsored by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. That if you read between the lines, if you cut through all the 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 language, the legal language in there. It basically alleges that the U.S. government has retrieved and is reverse engineering UFOs. And so mm. some parts of that legislation did make it through. Other parts, the kind of the, the most significant elements did get cut out. And, and why? What is the motivation as far as you can see? I'm told uh, that a Ohio congressman who's chairman of the House Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, Congressman Turner, was instrumental in getting this dropped. We tried to get him, our Joe Khalil, our reporter on the Hill, tried to get him to explain himself, uh, he sort of walked away from the camera. What do, you, what do you know about who was behind it? That's right. Mike, you're right. And, and Joe has, has done an excellent job on the Hill following this. Um, it all signs do point to um, Mike Turner, like as you said, the uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. To uh, Sounds like he really convinced uh, the Speaker of the House and uh, Mitch McConnell to really gut uh, a lot of this, the, the key elements of this legislation. There's been rampant speculation, uh, given the fact that he represents Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And if anybody right. uh, has followed UFO, uh, UFO history, that has really been a, an essential element or, or location for uh, UFO lore. Um, that's where Project Blue Book was headquartered for almost two decades. And uh, that was a, basically a, a PR exercise to de- debunk all UFO sightings. Um, okay. So there, there's an interesting connection there that, that he does represent that district. So there's some <clears throat> speculation. It's only speculation that, um, yeah. you know, some per, perhaps some defense contractors who may or may not have some of this material have uh, right. exerted undue influence over the congressman. That could be as simple as political calculations. Right. Congressman doesn't want Biden to get any kind of a win, whatever it may be. Or it could be he just simply doesn't believe these whistleblowers. And they're allegedly okay. it sounds like there have been dozens of whistleblowers. Uh, Mark, I don't want to play the soundbite because we're running out of time and it's kind of long. But okay, so you have the Intelligence Committee chairman in the House on one side. You've got the Senate Majority Leader, very powerful position on the other side, Chuck Schumer. He said in part, we've been notified by multiple credible sources that information on UAPs, that's unidentified aerial phenomenon, has also been withheld from Congress for which, if true, was a violation of the laws requiring full notification to the legislative branch. Where do we go from here, Mark? Yeah, this is uh, this is a really a, a, a quintessential oversight issue. And the senators who have sponsored this have said that they are going to vow to keep fighting. Uh, they will change the status quo is the, the exact words, and they are not giving up. OK, Mark von Runnenkamp, thank you very much. And thank you for writing. And have a happy new year. Have a great holiday week. I want to quickly go to the panel. All right. A year ago, if we'd been sitting here talking about it, there'd be a lot of giggles, a lot of smirks. Now it's a matter before Congress. The Senate Majority Leader, no less, is is taking up this issue. I mean, what are the, do you get the feeling something's being hidden? I feel like something's we're being conditioned for the release of something. 
What do you mean? I think it's almost like that this percolated to the, to the surface with some of the hearings that came out, and it was really portrayed as a national security issue, that there's somebody out there or something out there with technology that's beyond our reach. Hmm. And one of the things that the Pentagon and others need to do is to try and figure out what this is. Is it something of Earth or is it something extraterrestrial? But whatever it is, it seems to be beyond our technology. Mm-hmm. So as a national security matter, we need to figure out what this is, whether it's you know aliens or if it's somebody here on Earth. They want answers because that does go to defense policy. Right. And Kelly, what does the White House say when they're asked about this? I mean, couldn't the president shake this stuff loose? You know, and and I think we haven't heard much from this White House on this specific issue. But I think in 2024, this will be a big story. I think that hearing that we covered this summer really blew the top off of this topic. And I think they even said then there's no putting this all back in the bottle. So I think there's going to be more to come out of this. And there's so much interest on Twitter. You get followed constantly. Uh, This story uh, talked about constantly on News Nation here because there is so much interest in finding out the truth. And I think pushing Congress for answers. I think we're going to get more out of this in 2024. Whether you believe in UFOs or not, when Congress says the White House needs to give them something, the White House needs to give it to them, right? right? That's how the checks and balances work in this country. And if we get to a point with anything where the White House can just say, no, even though this is a duly executed law, we're going to ignore it, uh, that is a breakdown in the republic, and we can't allow that. Okay. Let's move on. A quick programming note tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports. Natasha Zuvis will be filling in for Elizabeth, and she'll be talking with former U.S. Border Patrol Chief Ron Vitello. They'll dig into today's visit to Mexico by the secretaries of state and Homeland Security and their push for Mexico to do more to control the situation at the southern border. That's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern right here after the Hill. And coming up on the Hill, it's known for its weddings, but this year's New Year's Eve in Las Vegas could break its own record. The reason why, when the Hill on News Nation returns. back. It's the e-block. That means we're going to kick this, sto- this uh, show off with some fun stories. Actually, the first one's not so fun. The second one is a lot of fun. So this may be a sign of the times, but that friendly post-game handshake is going bye-bye in some Canadian hockey minor leagues. Starting in the new year, players of the visiting team will shake hands at the bench of the home team before the game, not after the game, and officials will escort the players off the ice after the game. I guess it's because they just had too many fights after the game. A league statement says, quote, the handshake gesture at the beginning of the game reduces the potential risk from any heightened animosity that can occur between opposing players throughout the course of a game. And to be clear, this is minor leagues, not the NHL, in Newfoundland and Labrador. But, I mean, what's the world coming to, right? You can't even shake hands like gentlemen. Of course there's going to be a little shoving at the end of the game. Come on. You're not leaving teeth on the ice. You're not playing (laughs) hockey. You're fighting like heck on the ice and then friends afterwards. Yeah, really. This, you know, this reminds me of a couple years ago, the Michigan coach, basketball coach, Juwan Howard, smacked some coach in the handshake line after a college game. There was a proposal to ban handshakes after college basketball games. And the Michigan State coach actually said, what are we teaching these kids? Yeah. That, you know, we're telling them, you know, that they have to shirk this responsibility. They can't be civil to one another after a game and shake hands. I mean... It seems like the civil thing. The whole thing's thing. ridiculous. I mean, what is wrong with Canada? What is wrong with Canada? <laughs> <laughs> they should shake hands up here, though. Well, there's marbles up there. What is that? What are you talking about? Unless they're standing up, 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 across from <laughs> you holding a hockey stick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to something a little bit lighter, okay? You see this? Las Vegas chapels are expecting crowds of couples to tie the knot on New Year's Eve. The wedding industry in the Silver State believes that 12, 31, 23 is a specialty date. And I'll tell you why. 
because it reads one, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> the Clark County clerk even has a marriage office at the Harry Reid International Airport well, where she will issue licenses, so wheels down, rings on, I guess is how it goes. The official is open from, the office is open from December 26th to the 31st. Not too late to act, panel. You still have time for that special someone if you're not, not yet married. You know you feel, Say something, people. You, know you feel bad for the woman who said, yeah, I'll marry you when it's one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah, really. Right. Solid right. foundation when it's easy on which, as one, which two, to build a marriage. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting stat, but the real stat to pay attention to is how many of them are still married after one year. Yeah, we should start, what do you think, Kelly? Yeah, I think we'll have to do the follow-up report. Yeah. See uh, who it worked out for. That's right. Yeah. You know? It seems like kind of a whim, uh, you know, getting yeah. married on a whim. I don't know. Does it does it help you out? I mean, do you know anybody that's gotten married in Las I Vegas? I do. I actually, I know guys? somebody who got married in Vegas. She got divorced, and now she's going back to Vegas for her second marriage. Well, wow. yeah. I guess she really likes she Vegas. She likes the, the Elvis theme. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Rinse, repeat. Pardon me? Rinse, repeat. Yeah, I guess. All right. If you first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah. 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 All right. So is that all we have to say about uh, getting married in Las Vegas? You mentioned you alerted to the Jackson Five. Well, ABC, I guess what happens, three, what happens in Vegas will me. not just stay in Vegas. If you get married in Vegas, it's going to follow you home. Yeah, so really. be very careful who you go there with on one, two, three, one, two, three. Right. We, the weekend imagine, I would watch more is going to be the first two rounds of March Madness and see how many people get married there. Because I just oh. think March Madness is when guys <laughs> go out and live their best life uh-huh. uh, in the sports book. And if somebody hits a big, okay, they get their yayas out. All right, okay, we're going to leave it there then. Thanks right. for watching The Hill on <laughs> News Nation. Uh, set your DVR to watch us at 5 p.m. Eastern. We will be back tomorrow, and that is a promise. Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. We are tracking breaking news tonight in the case of the disgraced YouTube mother and her partner. Their crime, horrific child abuse as they gain fame teaching parenting skills online. That is until Ruby Frankie's children literally escaped from their home and found help. Well, tonight I'll be speaking live to a relative who says they are not surprised because the same thing happened to them. Welcome to Elizabeth Vargas Reports. I'm Natasha Zubess in for Elizabeth again tonight. But first we... For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.